Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 316. The Abandoned. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we find a lost little episode of Star Trek... We raise it up in conversation, then we set it loose on an unsuspecting galaxy to wreak what havoc it will. This week, The Abandoned, the one where Quark buys a baby, a baby gem Hadar. Odo raises it as his own, then sets it loose on an unsuspecting galaxy to wreak what havoc it will. I've got trivia coming up in a bit, but first... But first, I'm going to let you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Uh, What is this? The last time we saw the Gem Hadar, uh, well, not the last time we saw them, because we saw them in uh, the opening of Season Mm 3. The Search, yeah. Yeah, The Search and The Search uh, Part 2, I believe they called the second part of that. Yeah, right. Uh, But the last time we focused on the Gem Hadar was in the episode Gem Hadar. Mm-hmm. Or, or was it the Jem Hadar? I can't it was remember. The Jem Hadar. The Jem Hadar. Okay, so uh, we learned a lot about them in that episode. Uh, we learned a bit more about them in this episode, it seems. And uh, and I would imagine, as with all episodes of Star Trek, uh, there's at least a tiny bit of trivia tied to it. A little bit. I'm gonna just uh, I'm gonna dole out a little bit of trivia, like uh, like say an enzyme that you need, <laughs> and if you don't have it, this is going to be a problem. So, so here we go. Trivia for this episode, The Abandoned. Well, it was written by D. Thomas Mayo and Steve Warnack. And interestingly enough, this is where the professional writing trail begins and ends for both of them. There's just no more information, and this episode is their only professional writing credit. However, it was directed by Avery Brooks. So plenty of professional credits for Avery Brooks, all on the acting side. But remember that his only directing credits are for Deep Space Nine. His debut was last season with Tribunal, and he will direct seven more across the series. Ken, you remember uh, Tribunal. That's the one where uh, Chief O'Brien is uh, wrapped up in uh, in a tribunal. 
yes. on Cardassia Prime. Yes. So he goes for the literal titles is what you're saying. So far, mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah, well. So far. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, yes, somebody was abandoned here. So, yes, I, I was already confusing this with the Jem'Hadar. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow, he's just like on the nose, isn't he? But no, the abandon's a tiny bit more vague. Yeah. Uh, some cool little behind-the-scene notes on this episode. Uh, special attention was paid to the wardrobe for both Jake and Ben Sisko in that dinner scene with Marta, according to costume director Bob Blackman. Now, most of the time we've seen Jake in uh, like a one-piece thing, but he wanted to break it up, give him a little more adult-looking two-piece outfit, and then he wanted to give Ben a little more of a dressed-up, formal three-piece suit. So uh, that was a very specific nod to the formality of the event that they were having there. And uh, let's talk about that very complex special effect with the Jim Hadar youth jumping through Odo. So you have a composite of a stunt actor, plus Renee on a blue screen, plus animation all timed out exactly. But even with that careful planning, uh, there's a little bit of fudging it because the actor playing the Jim Hadar didn't have his foot go all the way through the mark as they had rehearsed it. So they adjusted it with animation in the end, adding shadows to get it to look just right. It's pretty interesting if you go back and watch that frame by frame. You can see where they sort of fade that effect in and out and uh, darken a bit of that just so it, it, it just barely see his foot go through, but not quite. And uh, let's see, we talked about Dan Curry before providing weapons designs for various Klingon and other alien hardware. Well, here he used the influence of a Tibetan weapon that he owned for the Jem'Hadar blade that we see in the Hollow Suite. Let's talk about guest stars, as we do. We have to say welcome back to Leslie Beavis as Rionaj, the Boslik captain who has a history with Quark. We first saw her in The Homecoming, and we will see her again in the same role one more time. Now, we talked more about her resume back then, the first time around, and we can't forget that she was Commanderette Zircon in Spaceballs. To me, that's just a role that really stands out. Now, Jake's friend Marta is played by Jill Sayre. We first heard about Marta a while ago in Sanctuary, then again in Playing God. Here we finally get to meet her. This is Jill's only on-screen appearance on Star Trek, and it is just one of a handful of on-screen credits to her name, but she actually keeps quite busy as a voice actress, primarily for ADR work. Finally, the Jim Hadar at the center of this story is played by a number of actors. The baby was played by twins, uh, the Chu twins to be exact, and as a young boy, he's played by Hassan Nicholas. He would have been 10 when this episode was filmed, and his on-screen credits are limited to this time period and into the early 2000s. The adolescent Jim Hadar is played by Bumper Robinson. He would have been 20 when this episode was filmed, and he had already racked up an impressive list of credits, recurring roles on Night Court, Webster, A Different World, and more. And after DS9, the guest and recurring roles kept coming, And he also found a lot of work in voice acting, primarily for him as an animation voice in everything from Futurama to Transformers to Ben 10. And that list goes on and on. Have you ever wondered what would happen if a Ferengi raised a Jim Hadar? Get ready to not find out. Prologue. 
big night in Quark's bar, and the alien is really winning big at Davo. That is until the skillfully distracting Davo girl Marta suggests just one more spin. Of course, he loses it all, and she moves on to her friend, Jake. This is the one Jake had been pining over for so long, and Marta is so happy to be joining Jake and his old man for dinner tomorrow night. What? Well, Benjamin made the invitation. Jake coyly says he mentioned it at some point, but assumed his father had forgotten. On the other side of the bar, Quark is greeted with his own female distraction. It's the Boslick captain again, and she's got an offer that he finds very hard to refuse— just some space junk, a crash ship she picked up. He can have it all for three bars of latinum, which he accepts because... Ear stuff. In the derelict ship, Quark pokes around until he hears, coming from a container, the unmistakable cries of an infant. Act 1. Well, it's a baby, all right. Can't tell exactly what species yet, but he's humanoid, he's healthy, and he's growing at a super-fast rate. Dax says she'll ask about the orphanage situation on Bajor, and in the meantime, Benjamin just seems happy to be holding a child. It reminds him of simpler times with Jake. Speaking of, Jake is a little prickly when his father comes back to their quarters. He wishes he'd had a little warning about inviting Marta over for dinner. It's done, though. He's at least got another day to prepare her and himself for such an ordeal. Speaking of how they grew up so fast... That alien kid is growing up so fast. Like a minute ago, he was a baby, and now he's sitting upright in the infirmary. Act 2. Oh, and he talks, too. He doesn't know his name, but he knows he's hungry, and that he wants to learn about his current situation. Dr. Bashir figures everything going on is a result of genetic engineering. They'll need to do some digging to find out who did the engineering and why. Chief O'Brien is on the case, too. He's been looking at the wreckage Quark bought to see if there are any clues there, but no real luck. When Cisco drops by to see his progress, the conversation turns to replicators, specifically the replicator and the Cisco residence where Ben will be preparing a meal for his and Jake's dinner with Marta. O'Brien says he gets Jake's nervousness, but wants to know Ben's take. It's simple. Ben says she's a Dabo girl. He doesn't want her around Jake, and he doesn't want to like her. Let's check in on Odo, shall we? He's moving into, what's this? Quarters of his own, not just a bucket in his office. Kira drops by to see what he's done with the place. I mean, Odo's not the most welcoming guy, but he reluctantly invites her in along with the houseplant she brought as a housewarming gift. Odo's got a kind of modern abstract thing going. He doesn't need conventional furniture, but what he does like is filling the place with objects of various shapes and textures that he can emulate. Since he can just revert to his gelatinous state wherever, he keeps the bucket only as a souvenir. And it's where he puts Kira's gift. She seems charmed. Bashir and Dax have been trying to solve the problem of the alien boy. They just don't have much to go on except the discovery that he's lacking a critical enzyme. The alien, that is, not Bashir. Without it, he'll die, and Bashir can only replicate something of an imperfect substitute. But why genetically engineer someone with that flaw? They'll have to ponder that question later. An urgent call for Bashir comes in from a nurse, and on his way to the infirmary, he finds himself face-to-face -face with the alien out of control, intimidating others and knocking Bashir to the ground. 
It's only when Odo steps in and morphs himself into liquid through which the alien passes that he stops. Then we see who, or what, the alien is. A Jim Hadar. Act 3. Commander Sisko tells the staff that the Jim Hadar boy will be shipped off to Starbase 201, where he'll be studied, but well-treated by experts. It's Odo who objects, though. He'll take responsibility. He doesn't like the idea of someone being studied the way he was. And if the Founders created him, well, maybe Odo can help undo some of the damage. Sisko gives in, allowing Odo a bit of time on his own with the boy. They've been holding him in a cell, and the Jim Hadar is reacting negatively, as one would expect. Odo comes in, and the boy seems to calm a little. At least he's more deferential to Odo. Bashir explains the problem with the enzyme, that he'll need to do more tests to help him. In the meantime, Odo digs deeper into the boy's psychology. He's full of pent-up, violent rage. He wants to fight anyone except Odo. Fine, but in the meantime, he just needs to relax. Odo even tries to get him to smile, an experiment that will need some more attention later. Let's switch gears to something a little less uncomfortable. Dinner at the Cisco's with Marta. Benjamin asks about her life. It hasn't been easy. Parents killed during the occupation, and then foster family and brother and sister who stopped talking to her when she took up a job in the exciting field of Dabo. Jake says she writes too, but Marta says not nearly as well as he does. Jake's poetry is what won her heart, a surprise to Benjamin who didn't even know his son wrote poetry. Or was an ace Domjot player, another little tidbit she drops before making Jake so nervous he leaves the room. Back in the ship wreckage, O'Brien has found what Odo thinks is a supply of the enzyme their guest needs. Bashir gives it a go. He has no idea how much is needed, but it seems to work. The boy's vitals are stabilizing. He's less fidgety, more focused. With some rest, he'll be fine. And Odo turns to leave the infirmary, but the boy wants to go with him. He won't stay in the infirmary, only with Odo. And with that, Odo has his first house guest. Act 4. At Shea Odo, the Jim Hadar boy has some learning to do about himself and about life on DS9. Yeah, Odo is a shapeshifter, which is pretty cool, but Odo has to explain that no matter what, the people on this station are equals. The boy doesn't get it, since he feels superior to the others, but not to Odo. He and Odo do have something in common, though. They're both trying to understand something about their own people, having both been found and raised by aliens. Easy enough. Odo pulls up a security video of a bunch of Jim Hadar beating the tar out of the crew of the Defiant from the opening show of this season. Odo is hoping it's a lesson that the boy can decide who and how he wants to be, i.e. not like them. He tries another tactic as well. In the Holosuite, Odo provides the boy with a virtual opponent. Sure, he can stay in here and fight all he wants. But this is a game, an outlet for his aggressions. Out there in the real world, he'll have to keep himself in check and live peacefully with others. The sparring gets more and more vicious, and Kira enters, wanting to have a word with Odo. Does he have any idea what he's doing? This Jim Hadar was genetically engineered to kill. It's dangerous to have him here, but Odo says just like all of them, they have a choice of who they can be. In he goes to get the boy out of the hollow sweep. 
And when they walk the promenade, the Jem'Hadar is aware that people are afraid of him, that he could kill any of them if he wanted. Odo pleads with him to consider that there is more to life than killing, but their conversation is cut short when Sisko wants to see Odo. Starfleet is sending a ship, the Constellation, to pick up the boy and take him to a starbase. That's it. This part of the experiment is over. But materializing out of nowhere comes the Jem'Hadar boy, weapon in hand, saying he's not going anywhere. Act 5. His demand is simple. A runabout, so he can leave and take Odo with him. With not much to negotiate, Odo says they'll go, and the boy won't harm anyone. Along a corridor, the boy says they're going to the Gamma Quadrant, but Odo says it doesn't have to be like this. They can go somewhere out of reach of Starfleet and the Jem'Hadar, He's actually willing to help him start a new life, but the boy insists he wants to be a Jem'Hadar. He wants to be with other Jem'Hadar, and being among humans has made both of them weak. Sisko and a security detachment follow, but he gives orders not to fire. When he encounters Odo and the boy, Odo says there is no other good way to end this. If the boy boards the constellation, people will die. He should just go with him to the Gamma Quadrant. He doesn't think the boy would hurt him. It's not in his programming. With no good alternative, Sisko allows them to board a runabout, and life on DS9 returns to normal. There's Jake holding hands with Marta. There's Chief O'Brien doing O'Brien things. He even mentions Marta to Benjamin, who seems to have cooled on the relationship a bit. Seems Marta allows him to see a whole new side of his son. And there's... There's Odo. Back so soon, stopping by the replimat to see Kira. He just says to her that she was right about the boy. The end. It's going to be really exciting to see Jake and Marta's relationship grow. She's She's I got know. such a presence on screen yeah. that I'm really looking forward to seeing her many, many, many more times. Yeah, there were good moments, great moments, I would say. And, and you say this was her only thing? She's never She's never coming back? She's never coming back. All right. Yeah. So I got a question. Uh, <laughs> without a school, is Jake just hanging out at the bar like all the time now? Well, really, that is the only option. Um, it's either school and we can't have, you know, the tutoring thing. It's like, eh, well, let's let's, let's send, uh, send Keiko away. So it's that or bar. Right. Mm -hmm. I guess so. I mean, he used to go to whatever, like, you know, Doc 12 or something and watch the girls come in on the promenade. Mm -hmm. But now he's got a girl he's watching at Quark's. So, yeah, yeah just yeah. hang out at the bar all day long, all day, sure. all night, whatever. I got to say, too, uh, I am once again vexed by how Davo has played. It's been a while <laughs> since I've cared. But did she know that that player was going to lose? Because Quark's like watching her. Uh -huh. Right. And the guy keeps winning and Quark's looking disapproving. And the guy's like, well, I'm out. And she's like, well, no, no. Come on, try one more time. What if he had won again? Yeah, <laughs> right. Then I guess she's out of a job. I guess yeah. maybe. I don't know. Or is she controlling the whole thing? In which case, what's the point of this game? Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think, A, we definitely can't put it past Quark that he is cheating every possible way he can. Right. Uh, so it, it's his Dabo tables. He's doing whatever he can. Now, whether or not he is specifically in cahoots with Marta or any other Dabo girl that we may have met or or may meet in the future, mm -hmm. um, that that could just be the thing. Maybe he is uh, he's got a deal that, that they will allow winning up to a certain point and then they uh, they trip the thing to make them lose. OK, so you're saying this is not the last Dabo girl. 
No, definitely. Just, okay. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise, I would think that Jake might have to give chase to uh, Marta. You see, uh, oh, by which oh, I mean pursue her. Pursuit, yes. Yeah, because okay. I yeah. know nothing about mm-hmm. any other Donald girls in the future in DS9. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was fun. Um, <laughs> hey, real quick thing here. Um, I, uh, I hate to be this nitpicky and particularly up front. I'm not a big fan of the makeup in this episode. Now, you know that I'm a big fan of Michael Westmore. I think he is awesome. And I fully realize the constraints of weekly TV production. Mm-hmm. This one just doesn't do it for me. And and it looks like he's kind of wearing an off-the-shelf mask. And you oh, can tell what I'm they're sorry, trying. It looks, like, it looks like who's wearing an off-the-shelf mask? Uh, the Jim Hadar. You think so? Uh, yeah, yeah, because and you could tell what they were doing. You could tell that they were making it a progressive thing, right. where the the baby has very little, and then the the little boy has just a, a tad more. Uh, because apparently, uh, the the way it works when you have child actors, you can only do so much. You actually can't use spirit gum. You can't use certain materials to do uh, uh, any kind of makeup on them. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. Because so I used spirit gum when I was like fourteen. Just well, like yeah, me, you like, did. Just like and, trying to figure it out, right? Yeah, and I did too. And apparently, in a professional environment, like they'll sell it to you. Yeah, you know, you go into a magic store and, and you know the theatrical supplies store. You buy spirit gum. But I, I was doing the whole Planet of the Apes thing when I was like, yeah, fourteen, fifteen. Uh, but but no. Uh, forget putting me on camera in a professional environment yes, right. <laughs> where, yeah. where a trained professional could if do it. If you want to be a freak in your own time, that's fine. That's fine. That's yeah, fine. but yeah. we're not going to have people you know, capitalizing off your freakishness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but then by the time you get to Bumper Robinson playing the adolescent Jim Hadar, you could tell that they, they did this kind of slow buildup of the makeup, where it's a little softer around the edges and a little harder, and then the, the spiky things got a little bigger as he went along. I just was not a fan of the way that looked, um, and, and particularly with the hair. So they gave him more hair at the beginning and then less and less as he got older. So ultimately, he's going to look like one of those big, terrifying Jem'Hadar soldiers that we met before. I, 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 I'm just not a fan of this makeup. Sorry to say. I think it was the hair that really sort of set the make off, makeup off in kind of a weird way. Because mm-hmm. it, it did sort of look like he was just wearing a mask on top of like regular stuff. But as the hair changed, I came to appreciate that part. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dabo player, though, just looked terrible to me. That was not a great makeup. Yeah, that was awful. No. The Jem'Hadar I had no problem with all the way through. I mean, it, well, I don't want to say I had no problem with it because it was a bit disconcerting, like how set off it looked. But that was only because of the jet black of the hair, I think. I don't, in other words, yeah. I don't think the makeup, makeup was bad. It was an interesting choice. As far as the Dabo player, though, they might have just had, you know, some guy. Yeah. Just, you know, just some dude. Because <laughs> it would have been fine because he's on, he's, he's on for like 20 seconds anyway. What difference mm-hmm. does it make? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, we're going to do makeup. Okay. But we're going to do bad makeup. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you literally, uh, on any given day, you've got Tracy Lee Coco uh, in the wings, sitting there at Cork's Bar, in any number of makeups. Yes. You could have just pulled her and like, now, now it's a Dabo playing guy. Yeah, I guess mm-hmm. that, that could have been. Or again, just a dude. Would just have been dude. okay if it were just a dude. Would have been yeah. fine. Hey, uh, remember the movie Big? Oh, sure, yeah. Remember when Josh uh, gets an apartment and he puts in like bunk beds and a pinball machine and a basketball hoop and all this mm-hmm. stuff that a kid would have? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty much Odo's first apartment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. just a big, just he has no idea and he's just filling it full of stuff. Come in, I've got monkey bars. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> wow, you do. That's, yes. 
Yeah. 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 It's very different being a guy like Odo. And I like it. There's sort of some pride in saying, oh, I don't use the bucket anymore. Yeah. Like I've, I've grown out of the bucket. I'm, I'm, I'm so much more mature now. Yeah. Uh, but it raises a question. If he no longer uses the bucket, <laughs> right. does he just ooze around on the floor? Apparently. Like, Okay, like like if if DS nine became unstable for some reason, would he would just seep under a door or down a vent if he fell asleep? Well, I mean, he falls asleep though, right? So I mean, yeah. he, he could wake up. Like I was asleep the other day. Somebody rang the doorbell. I woke up. I assume if something bad happens to Deep Space Nine, he's going to wake up. As long yeah, but as if something like, bad, if somebody rings a doorbell and you're asleep, it's not like oh wait, part of me is over there and true. part of me is over there. <laughs> Well, I kind of assume he stays in one piece, but doesn't he, like, I got the impression, honestly, because he said the whole thing about I can just be, like, my gelatinous form wherever, mm-hmm. but it also sort of sounded like he was sleeping, like, as a rock. Wow. Not Or sleeping like a rock, if you want to be right. funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I thought he was, like, taking different forms and sort of relaxing that way, too. He, he is. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know if he would sleep that way. I mean, he has to become gel every 16 hours. <laughs> so we don't true. know for how long. Yeah, that's also true. Well, I assumed it was for the rest of the day. It's like getting a good eight hours of sleep. I assume that, like, what, a 26-hour day, right? So he's got a good 10 hours. He's got to be goo. No, only eight, right? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, 18 yeah. Sorry, hours, sorry, I think, sorry. that he has to become yeah. gooey. So it's still just an eight hours. So, you get man, you, you could accomplish so much more on Bajor. Because wow. you get, like, two more hours. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, even though you only sleep for eight. Unless they're shorter hours. We never really established that. Yeah. Uh, I got to say, um, I, I've sort of had this feeling that mm-hmm. something was developing between Odo and Kira. This, by the way, is my makeup moment. You had your makeup moment, okay? Okay, yeah. I, I, I thought something might be developing between Odo and Kira, but I'm really super grateful for that ham-fisted zoom on the two of them, <laughs> letting me know that that was happening. Because holy cow, was that just yeah ghastly. That's like yeah. something I would do making a movie. Well, <laughs> it's yeah. Again, what what you want is show, don't tell. Right. And the problem is, regardless of the dialogue, you can tell when you do certain camera movements. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's unfortunate. Hey, uh, let's let's talk about food several times. <laughs> um, so I, I can't tell what Dax and Bashir were eating. That they were having that lunch in the replimat kind of looked like a salad between them. Um, I, I would almost have said avocado, but you definitely don't want to have cut avocado on set. Uh, so it might have been like just some little chunks of green. Could have been uh, could have been some cucumber, something like that. And they had a few glasses. Uh, there were in fact several glasses on the table. And here's what's funny with the bubbles in the set decoration. For some reason, I really started to notice those the last couple of times we've been in the replimat. I, I just sort of focused on those, and it just gives the illusion that they're all uh, uh, sitting around drinking champagne for lunch, and nice. good for them. Yeah. Good on them. Good Maybe on it them. was Sunday. Maybe it was brunch, and we didn't realize. Could be. Yeah. Not, not yeah. much of a brunch, I'll grant you, but uh, yeah. well, it's got champagne, so how bad could it be? Well, you don't know how many times they went up to the replicator. Like, if it's Sunday brunch and they just treat it, even though it's a replicator, they just treat it like a Vegas buffet. Mm. They're like, well, that was my third plate. I'm going back for prime rib now, you know? Yeah, I guess. I'm, I'm not a buffet person, but you know this about me. I don't understand you. Uh, okay, and then there's a uh, good scene. Uh, Odo trying to teach uh, the Jim Hadar how to smile. Very cute. Because yeah, of I all guess. people, of all people, well, of all people, you get Odo because when Odo smiles, something is very wrong. <laughs> it's yeah. like, like Spock. Of all things for him to want to try to teach the Jem Hadar. 
And I will, I will say, you'd probably like them more if they just smiled a bit more, the Jem'Hadar. Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. that's sure. A, probably much less threatening. Actually, how much scarier would they be if they were smiling while they were killing you? Just all the time. <laughs> yeah, just like they constantly look like it, but, you yeah. know, different. Right, right. Yeah, right. or like those things from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but similar. Yeah, yeah. Um, hey, uh, back to food. Okay. Uh, <laughs> shrimp, <laughs> shrimp Creole with mandalay sauce. Okay, now I, I really feel like the producers of Deep Space Nine in 1994 were just messing with me from the past into the future. They're like, you know what? Someday somebody who's obsessive about food is going to watch this show and do a podcast, even though podcasts have not been invented yet. And we're just going to create phrases that make no sense whatsoever okay so you're saying mandalay sauce is not a real thing or you wouldn't put it on shrimp creole uh it, it is a real thing it, okay. it has nothing to do with shrimp creole okay well, it could just be like a weird thing that you know jake or benjamin found one time i had I, I had almost nothing i had leftover shrimp creole yeah and mandalay uh-huh. sauce it's like it's like how the m&m was made right no i'm sorry the reese's peanut butter cup you got chocolate um, in my mm-hmm. peanut butter. You got peanut butter in my chocolate. And uh, you got a thing. You got I'm, shrimp creole in my mandalay sauce. Oh, know? man. It's like no. that. I All just, right. I, I can't. I can't. I can't with them. <laughs> All right. Uh, but let's talk about something I love. And, and that's that prop that Bashir uses to deliver the enzyme into the Jim Hadar. Mm-hmm. This is cool. It's a practical. And it's got that little tube. So, you know, it's got moving parts to pump the liquid through there. And man, is that a lot of air going into his carotid artery, if you really look at that. It's a really, it is a really good thing, though, because there's constant movement. And it lets you know that something's going on. And certainly mm-hmm. that something's not right. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, yeah, it's well done with that. You see, that's that's where all your makeup time and money went this episode, by the way. Mm-hmm. That's where yeah, it went, totally. right there. So totally. you're applauding that, and I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> didn't, uh, didn't go to a chef. Didn't go to a chef. Uh, and, hey, why does Kira just walk into the holosuite when Odo was in there with the Jim Hadar? Did, did she – I mean, she had to have known that he was going to be in there, right? right because, right. Uh, first of all, she hates the holosuite. Yes. And, and second of all, and people don't just knock. You know, just like uh, you, you don't know what's going on in there. I'm not saying anything untoward. Yeah. But but there could have been a fight just right there at the door area of the hollow suite when when she got there. Didn't we talk about that on TNG as well? Except Maybe. that the hollow yeah. suite, the hollow suites are even worse, like the holodeck, because they were a, they were a pristine people, the people on the Enterprise D. Oh, yes. You know, yes. they were always very. Eh, with the exception of maybe Riker, they were always on the up and up. They were never doing anything horrible. And and you kind of get the feeling that at Quarks, the hollow suite should really just have a quarter machine. Yeah. You yeah. know, because you don't really know how long you're going to need it. Yeah. And you don't want to spend. Yeah. Like, yeah. did we not talk about how terrible it would be? Anyway. Yeah. Yes. It, mm-hmm. it is kind of surprising. Then again, it's Odo. Sure. So she may figure he's not up to anything. It's not even that he's up to something. It's okay. just, come on, j- just just knock. Yeah, it would be just, nice. It would be the polite thing to do. Just ring the bell. Yes. Yeah. That would be the polite thing to do. Hey, Odo, I was looking for you. Do you mind if I step in here from... Oh, Don't no, now's not a good Don't time. Don't come in here. <laughs> exactly. Uh, switching gears. Hey, Starfleet sending the USS Constellation, mm-hmm. a, uh, a a storied name uh, with a with a long history in Starfleet. Not the one that got destroyed in TOS, uh, but but they revived that name in TNG just a little bit. So good good to hear it in this episode. Uh, so at the end of the episode, 
towards the end of the episode. O'Brien is asking because Cisco. I'm sure we'll talk about this, but Cisco had said he's gonna he's just gonna stop this Marta and Jake thing. Just like mm-hmm. nip nip mm-hmm. that in the bud. That's done now, right? Yeah. And he sees him walking around. He's like, yeah, he's kind of cool with it. And O'Brien's like, oh, you got to know her a little better and decided you liked her after all. I just wanted Cisco to be like, no, actually, I got to know Jake a little better and decided I don't like him. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> there was something about the way he's like, it's like it, it, the whole either or thing is like, no, I got to know Jake better. It yeah. feels like there should be another part of that line. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not saying he shouldn't yeah. like Jake. He should like Jake. No, don't you should. Okay. okay. It just felt to me like with the setup, I, I sort of felt like we got, you know, like that setup was so leading. <laughs> yeah. Precisely. Hey, and it was ended with with a great, uh, I, I thought, a great little exchange. Uh, Cisco asked O'Brien, have you ever played Dom Chat with him? No, don't. I just I, That was a, a nice little, again, just show, don't tell. It was a nice way to end that moment. Seriously, what if Quark had felt a familial attachment to the kid? Seeing Odo and Quark fuss over the baby. That would be comedy gold. On your mark, John. Are you on your mark? I am on my mark. Okay, get set, John. Okay, I'm I'm set. Go, John. So many topics, Ken. So many topics. In this one episode directed by Avery Brooks and written by people who we never heard from again... I I just feel like I had to rapid fire this. Okay, we we could get so into the ethical dilemma of what to do with the kid because they say uh, or Odo says we can't just hand him over to Starfleet. My question is why not? What what is so wrong with what we have seen of Starfleet in the past that that would be a terrible thing? We're we're meant to believe that people in Starfleet are ethical and benevolent and kind and studious and thoughtful. And if they're going to say, well, we can't just hand them over to Starfleet. Oh, but remember those really smart, uh, capable people on the Enterprise? Sure. That sounds good. They have resources. They could deal with this. So I'm just saying that, yeah, I get why Odo has the the, the special attachment, but to immediately uh, uh, sort of abandon this idea that they can't or won't cooperate with Starfleet here is very weird. Um, so that that's point number one. Okay, point number two. Uh, can we talk about the weird ethics of the founders creating a drug-addicted army slave race? Um I guess the the point is there 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 are no ethics because as Odo points out his people have no blood so uh, cold blooded uh, doesn't really come into the the equation they're just going to be that way uh, but I, I guess that just makes us feel even worse about the founders and even better about Odo not being one of them oh and hey speaking of Odo not being like the people he's like point number three the whole nature versus nurture problem presented by this Jim Hadar child. Because uh, here's Odo growing as a person because he he feels free to experiment with who he is, literally, because he doesn't want to be like uh, the people that he's met that, that are his uh, his ancestors, his, his, his like beings. Um, and, and we say, uh, that boy was, or Kira says, that boy was created in a laboratory. His body, his mind, his instincts are all designed to do one thing, 
to kill. So we really have a problem here. And I think Odo's point is great saying, uh, I get to choose, you get to choose. Everybody in this station got to choose who they would be, which is a very Star Trek message. It's very thoughtful. It's very progressive. But then Kira's is saying like, yeah, well, that's, that's not this kid. Sorry. Nature here overrides nurture. So that's a big problem. Moving on. Uh, uh, we, we have uh, Odo's lessons on equality. Uh, which is great to say, yeah, I have these abilities. You have different abilities. We all are equal because that's how we decide to be. Great moment to talk about there. Uh, man, we could even go down a whole path about the idea of violent video games. In this case, the Hollow Suite. Does it encourage or does it reduce violence in the real world? I think it's an interesting idea. You can get out your aggressions here. And you have to understand that when you walk out of these doors, uh, that's not who you are. This is a game. This is just a thing you're doing here to express this part of yourself. Oh, 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 Ken, we could talk about the parallel of judging who the Jim Hadar is and what he'll become versus who Marta is and what was the expectation for her by, by her brother and sister, uh, by her foster family, by Benjamin Sisko himself uh, being very uh, prejudiced in a way about who she is just because of what she does. We could even take that and then we could land on the appropriateness of Jake's relationship with Marta. Um, take your pick, Ken, because it's a lot of things that I feel like we could do an entire show about any one of those topics. Uh, well, I don't know if we can do about any one of the topics. I'll tell you the easiest one that we okay. just go ahead and get rid of. The weird ethics of the founders creating a drug-addicted army slave race. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's just go ahead and put that in the bad category. Okay, bad. I feel that, like we can. I feel like that yeah, one we can yeah, go yeah. ahead and just say, yeah, no, that's that that's bad. Okay. And there we go. Uh, the ethical dilemma of what to do with the kid. Yeah. Um, of course, Odo is not going to feel like he can just be handed over to Starfleet because Odo feels like he was mistreated by uh, James Sloyan. I can't remember that character's name. Um, <laughs> yes. I remember the doctor's name. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the actor's name. The oddly enough, James Sloyan is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He's incredible. He's yeah. absolutely incredible. Um, he feels that he was mistreated, although we have talked before about why it is that Odo, because you're saying like Odo is like, you know, free to explore now and he's choosing to explore. He's still hanging around Deep Space Nine, and he's still hanging around uh, Bajor, which, of course, is where he was found, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so he's not nearly as free as he thinks he is, it seems, or maybe he now is actively choosing to stay there for whatever reason. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I think he is. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah, he, he's bonded with these people, certainly with Kira, uh, QV Zoom lens. Okay, that's <laughs> you know. okay. That part is true. Yes, although yeah. we're probably only a week, maybe two away from him talking about how nobody wants to be there. Sure. I mean, sure. so I mean, you know, it's kind of tough to say there, but I do understand why he wouldn't want to turn the kid over to Starfleet because he feels like he was poked and prodded, and you know, he was. You know, do he the was. chair Look. thing. Do the chair thing. They used to say to him, and he did. Yeah, he's not wrong. Look, Odo is not wrong about his experience. Absolutely, has every right to feel that way. Um, what I'm saying is that at least his experience with Starfleet is he can say, uh, Starfleet is not Bajor. These people are not James Sloyan. Mm -hmm. um, let us take every precaution to be ethical and thoughtful about how we treat this boy. Right. Uh, just saying, you know. Uh, nature versus nurture. Um, I, I kind of want to come back to that one later. Okay. Because I feel like that's kind of a, a messagey, morally sort of thing. 
Yeah. Um, Odo's lessons on equality and his abandonment of his own people. That sort of goes with that same one. So mm-hmm. if we can come back to that later, that'd be great. Violent video games, I don't care. Uh, let's see. Uh, the parallel of judging who the Jem'Hadar is and what he'll become versus who Marta is and what the expectation is for her. This is where this gets a little weird for me because, mm-hmm. um, and yes, the appropriateness of Jake's relationship is tied up in it. Yeah. I'm not a dad, right? Um, but Cisco strikes me as a horrible father in this episode. And usually I think Cisco is a good father, really. Yeah. I honestly okay. really think he is, generally speaking, a good father. Maybe he shouldn't let his son hang around the bar all day, every day. But generally speaking, I think he's good. Yeah. But let's play out his plan here. Okay. He's tricking Marta into a nice get-to-know-you dinner with the intention of breaking the two of them up. Mm -hmm. Right? If he wants to put his foot down, he should, you know, put his foot down. Mm -hmm. But the chicanery uh, strikes me as the wrong way to go. Um, And again, I'm not a father. And being a dad, I know, is a tough thing. Uh, But having been a son (laughs) who has been lied to by his dad to get something, not cool. And it doesn't doesn't work out as well as you apparently think it's going to in the moment. And so Cisco strikes me, honestly, as just terrible in this episode. Now, uh, uh, and really quickly, uh, he says, she's a Daba girl. She's dating my son. I don't want to like her. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's let's not even get to the part where she's a Dabo girl. Let's get to the part where she's twenty and he's sixteen, yeah. because that's really kind of an issue here, I think. And I know we learn that she, you know, has gone through some hard stuff, and you could say maybe she's not quite as mature as a twenty-year-old should be at the age of twenty, uh, because you know her parents died when she was so young, and she was raised by somebody else, and she's been, you know, da da da, all that stuff. I'm going to make this a lot easier, though. Jake Sisko is Jill Sisko. Jill is a 16-year-old girl, and she's taken up with a 20-year-old male bartender. Tell me how this story plays as cute. Tell me how this story (laughs) even ends up on TV in 1994, 95, whenever this was made. Yeah, so I don't know what they were trying to do there. That that I would it's love to. It's male wish fulfillment. Come on. That's all it is. Because listen, when I was 16, if a 20-year-old woman like that had looked at me, yes, I would have been very interested. And I get that. Okay, but, but, but here, here's the thing, though. Remember, all right, but this seed got planted a long time ago in this show. That that Jake likes somebody who is a Dabo girl. We know that the Dabo girls work in the bar. We know that the Dabo girls are older than Jake at that time, being 15. Now he's 16. Um, okay, but we knew that Jake had a crush on a Dabo girl, right? Sure. At that point, we didn't know that Jake was dating a 20-year-old woman. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and here's, yeah, I I get it. We can chalk it up to this wish fulfillment thing. I also know that you've got a writer's room and producers of all points of view. Okay. and, And different backgrounds and different ideas. And I would find it very hard to believe, though I would love to know, I'd find it very hard to believe that somebody didn't ask exactly the question that you're asking, which is um, flip the roles, how is this in any way appropriate? I would love to know what that conversation was had because I, I, I feel like it, it has to. It has to have occurred at some point. And I would love to know the justification for for how, how they they said, nope, we're going to go with this. I was going to say, I'm not sure why you want to know whether the question was asked because the answer was apparently shut up. I mean, or here's the justification, but the justification doesn't turn up on screen at all. I mean, because in the end, it is a 16-year-old kid dating a 20-year-old woman. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it is. It yeah, is. And, um, and, and again, I'm certain that there was some conversation about, you know, well, he's, as you were just saying, well, well, she's immature because she's been through this and maybe Jake's a little more mature, although he doesn't go to school. Um, you know, he just hangs out in a bar. Um, I don't know what their expectation was for where this would go and how how they could justify that, that this would be a thing, unless it was just purely to have this moment, uh, have this moment where Ben Sisko is maybe being a little too prejudgmental uh, about her and then decides, well, I, I want to get to this place where I respect and understand my son. Mm hmm. Look, they they nailed that moment, but the mechanics of getting there, I, yeah, I I, I have a hard time with this. I really do. Um, I I don't think there is a better way to do this unless you wait until Jake is eighteen. <laughs> and if you're gonna do that, in the meantime, if you're gonna have a sixteen-year-old Jake you create a more age-appropriate relationship for him. Well, sure. Or, I mean, you have him, well, whatever. See, it's easy for me to go back and rewrite it. I mean, what I'd really mm -hmm. rather just do is, like, go get a time machine and stop them from having that relationship be there. Although, as I've said plenty of times before, if I'm wasting my time machine time <laughs> on stopping an episode of Star Trek being made, I really need to, you know, reassess my priorities. Look, you want you want him to learn that Jake is a, is a, is a, is a poet? have Marta break Jake's heart and have mm, Jake mm -hmm. write some stuff that's truly beautiful about it and have Ben find that, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, there are ways to get them together here that don't involve Ben Sisko trying to trick his son into breaking up his relationship and letting a 16-year-old date a 20-year-old. I'm just, I'm just saying there might be some more nuanced ways to handle this. Let, let, let's go back to that, that other part, though, about Ben tricking his son. I, I I think he's slightly less terrible than you do. I, I don't think this is good behavior. I don't think this is great behavior by any stretch. I think it's slightly less terrible than you do. And here's why. The other direction, the other way that this plays out in a different show is the the parent disapproves of the relationship for whatever justifiable reason you've got and then tells the kid, nope. No son of mine, no daughter of mine is going to date this person. End of story. We're done here. And then the kid goes and does it anyway because the, the, the parent won't even have a reasonable conversation about it. So at, at the very least, at the very least, I'll give them credit for sitting down at a dinner table and people trying to understand who each other is. Well, except that we know that he wasn't trying to understand who she was. He ended up being surprised to find that he didn't understand who his son was. But he went into it almost gleefully saying that, you know, this whole thing was about ending it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. he's telling he's telling uh, he's telling O'Brien that secretly. But he's yeah. he's not being honest at all with um, uh, Jake. Yeah. And then, and then it's so maybe he has a learning moment from that. I don't think he's ever going to apologize to Jake about lying, but. Well, no, because Jake doesn't know he was lying. So right. it's like, it's cool in the gang, right? Yeah. Like, oh, whoo, dodge that bullet. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, we'll be able to get back to this when we have the many, many Marta Jake stories. 
where we <laughs> we really get to explore what's happening here. Work and Dodo, raising a baby. It would be like my two dads in space. It would be like three men and a baby, minus three men. And the baby would only be a baby for 20 minutes in space. So we don't look at each other's notes. We've talked about this before. We don't look at each other's notes before the show. Like right when we're recording the show is when we see each other's notes. And so here we are recording The Abandoned. The Abandoned is the show that we're recording. And we're doing the thing where we talk about, you know, what the title is. And you say right here, so who is The Abandoned? I say The Abandoned is the ship. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. You're just going to leave it at that? The one that had the kid in it, the one that had the Ketracel White. Who knows what else is... I'm sorry. We don't know that that's what that's called yet. The one that had the kid in it, the one that had the (laughs) enzymes. Uh, It's got a bunch of, like, uh, screens in there. They're not flat screens, but, you know, a good cathode ray will still show you something every now and then. Sure, sure. I'm saying it might have even been the... What what do they call it? What what are Dominion ships called, do you suppose? The DSS Abandoned. That actually could have been the name of the ship. We just haven't seen it because of all the scoring. By the way, how did that kid end up abandoned in the DSS abandoned? Yeah, where, where, where did everybody else go? I know, right? And, and say, well, here, put put the kid in the box. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And jettison him. No, put yeah. him in this crap ship that we have and jettison that. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. That that sounds fine. Uh, I'm going to go. Okay, I think that's a great answer. Thank uh, you. I'm going to add to that the Jim Hadar youth clearly yeah, abandoned. I think so. Uh, uh, Marta. Marta has been abandoned. I can see why she would feel that way, but her parents you know, were killed. They didn't abandon her. Well, no, but, but her family, her family oh, yeah, after that, the point, yeah, her foster okay. family and her brother and sister. It's like, come on. Sure. Yeah, okay. Just be, be decent people. Right. Um, uh, Odo, you, you could even say now he, he has decided to abandon sort of the, the, the ideals of the founders because they do things that he finds repugnant. Interesting. So you're yeah. saying much like an onion, mm-hmm. this title works on many levels as, as long as you want it to work like an onion on every level. Sure. And, and you're going to need that onion to make uh, shrimp creole. Okay. Ooh, with a little mandalay sauce. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. My favorite Italian dish. (laughs) (sighs) So, okay. So that's a title uh, uh, dealt with. Uh, What about the uh, whether or not the episode holds up, John? Uh, It's very good. Now, I was reminded a lot of Iborg. Okay. You you can't help but make that comparison. I'm sorry. Hang on. Hang on. Did you say the episode is very good? Well, I, I think overall, it's, really? it's very good. Yeah. Okay. Now, I, I'll get to why I, I think there are holes in that. Okay. Um, but I, I think that the, the premise here is a very good premise. Okay. Um, I, I think uh, going back to Iborg, we have an enemy that we don't understand fully that is fearsome, and we try to do what we can to understand and help and nurture that enemy along. And Iborg had, uh, th- there were definitely some upsides to that but then you have this kind of bittersweet ending in iborg and i would say a more bitter ending here you just go like yeah well we don't know exactly what happened with the boy but we know that odo is back in very short order and tells kira you were right essentially you you, you can't change him he can't be helped um so really uh really unfortunate there now um does the production hold up i it's it's a little sloppy um, and even with all these 
deep thoughts that are placed throughout the script and ideas to chew on that are placed throughout the script. Hence my, my marathon running of those ideas at the beginning of the last segment. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly that last act is just a bear. And, and it suffers from some of the same problems of equilibrium where it just feels like the show is trying to use an edit or, or use some other trick to tell you something is dramatic instead of just landing the moment. Um, so I think it's a little bit of a mess in that way. Uh, and then, well, we're going to come back to the thing about Marta and, uh, and Jake and Cisco in there. And, uh, that, that might be the most, uh, <laughs> the the most difficult part of this to to grapple with um and whether or not they told the story that they should have been telling in this episode um i think it's pretty good i don't think it's great hmm. um I, I i i think that the things that hurt it are mostly the technical problems and then again, maybe it's just the the idea of focus here with with what is the story they're going to tell, and I think that's going to fall into the uh, into the messages as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about you? Uh, you and I are on, I think, complete opposite ends of this episode. Honestly, hmm. uh, the okay. production was fine, with the exception of that one guy's makeup at the beginning, the Dabo player's makeup at the beginning. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I felt like uh, production-wise, this episode is fine. I mean, mm. Uh, mm. the the ship that Quark bought—I mean, it really did just look like they took an existing set and threw a bunch of trash around it. Yeah, yeah. So that part also could have been a little bit better, but we saw that. I want to say twice. So, yeah. or maybe three times. So I don't really, that doesn't bother me. Um, I actually enjoyed seeing the evolution of the Jem'Hadar makeup. It did not, like, like I said before, the hair was kind of weird and it set it off in a weird way. But by the time he is, I guess what we we're going to call mature, uh, when he leaves the ship or as close to mature as he can be, mm-hmm. as, as we're going to see anyway, I felt like it worked. Um, I didn't notice the thing about him, you know, jumping through Odo and having that be weird. I feel like uh, production-wise, um, I well, and that one lousy like zoom in on Kira and Odo that was kind of terrible. Well, well, that's the, that's the thing though. That's what I mean. It's like production value is there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But but I also feel like going back to equilibrium, the production value is going to be there. But there are just kind of clunky moments. There there are clunky areas in the script that you know look. It's very easy in hindsight, 20 plus years later, going like, oh, well, that, that's an awkward edit or, oh, they, they couldn't find quite the bridge to fix that scene. Yeah. Sometimes they really nail it. Sometimes they don't. Um, but this, I, I just start to finish. I do not like this story. Hmm. I mean, just I mean, it's an interesting idea, except it comes back to the questions that I've asked before. Like, why are you choosing to tell the stories that you're choosing to tell? Because there's plenty of dark on TV. What what was current at the time? Uh, NYPD Blue? Would that have been current? Because that was not a happy-go-lucky kind of show, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. we had had plenty of dark on television at that point. What we hadn't had yet was dark on Star Trek. And so, so you think you're doing something revolutionary by giving me dark on Star Trek. And instead, all you're doing is giving me something that I can watch anyplace else. Um. The the Jem Hadar wants to know why do you emulate them? You're a changeling. You're better than them. And Odo says it doesn't make me better. It just makes me different. Mm-hmm. Um, no one in the station is better than anyone else. We're all equal. These are all great things, and these are not things that I've really felt like I've heard from Odo before. Um, it honestly strikes me this would have been a better position for Dax or Julian because Odo knows danger. 
Odo knows and understands danger, and he would not have, while he might have felt for this guy, I don't think he would have gone that way, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. I think Dax or Julian could easily have made that speech, as long as neither of them remember how they treated Quark in the past. It'll be fine, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, what I really wish, though, is that, okay, so go ahead and make it Odo. That's fine, too. I wish they had just given us, like, a moment of mirror, mirror, right? Because there is never a moment where you think he's getting through to this Jem'Hadar kid. And I wish they'd at least had a moment where the kid considers what Odo said, right? Mm-hmm. Because without that, I feel like we're back to dark for dark's sake. And and that's that's disappointing. And then, of course, I, I you know, talked at length about how I feel about the uh, about the Marta and Jake, the Marta and Jake thing. I mean, why do you want to spend 45 minutes with the moral of the story being? Yeah, no, yeah, some people just some people just can't. I was wrong in hoping for the best for this character. I was wrong. Why do you, why do you want to spend that much time telling that story? Like not even have light, like a, like a, a light appear to go off in the kid's head. I don't know why this is here. I don't know why we're doing this. I mean, the only lesson you can take from this is sometimes you're stupid to try. No, 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 no. Oh, come I, on. I don't, I don't, no, I don't think so at all. I, don't, okay. I mean, look, I, I, yes, th- this is the downside of doing, uh, again, what they try to do in Iborg or, or like you're saying, with Enemy Within, you, you know, embrace that dark side. Uh, it wasn't and, Enemy Within. It was um, oh, uh, Mirror, Mirror. Uh, I'm sorry, Mirror, Mirror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think there is anything about this story that says you're dumb for trying. I think the fact that they tried, that that. Odo has shown growth and compassion and and gives that speech about being equal and, and basically laying out these are the values that I have because of the people that I'm with and uh, and reiterating to Kira, we get to choose who we are, we get to choose how we are and how we behave. I think this is all strong, valuable stuff. It's a downer to land at, at this one point with this one story to say not everyone can be saved, but you can try. You can still try to be compassionate. You can still try to give someone a chance and you can still exemplify your own morals. I think those all have value, even if in this one case you didn't win. You know, Ben Sisko sits down at a table with somebody he's ready to destroy. Mm -hmm. And again, regardless of the ethics of that relationship, at least he lands in a place where he says, oh, you know what? This is a person not just a thing, not just uh, a a job function that I get to judge because of that. Well, you know, except so, he actually, I mean, okay. Well, well you, don't, mean, you don't think he does? Uh, well, when uh, O'Brien actually said, so you talked to her and you, you, you found out you liked her. And, and Cisco says, actually, I found out more about Jake. I assume that he's changed his idea on Marta somewhat, but he doesn't say anything about changing his ideas on Marta. He never even, he had never even really, except O'Brien, he fesses up to the fact that he didn't like her. I mean, initially. He didn't like, initially, he didn't like the idea. He hadn't met her. Well, he'd met her long enough to invite her to dinner. He didn't like the idea of her just because of what she does. Now, watching, watching that dinner scene... I would actually give him the benefit of the doubt to say that, yeah, he learned something about his son. That's the way that he expressed it to O'Brien. That's valid. That's true. Okay. He also warmed up to her at dinner. Okay. Yes. I, I, I'll take that away. Okay. That's, that that's fine. Yeah. Okay. That's mm-hmm. fine. I, I guess the problem that I have is go back to let that be your last battlefield. 
Let that be your last battlefield when the reveal is, you know, that they hate each other because they look exactly the same to us. But then somebody points out something that's really minuscule, something that actually shouldn't matter. And that's the reason that they hate them. Well, that looks dumb. The problem that I have with this episode is you've got most everybody around them going, this isn't going to work. And in the end, that is reinforced. In the end, it is reinforced. Because and, and yeah, okay, you know what? Maybe I want my television, not even all my television, because I was a huge fan of Game of Thrones. I was a huge fan of a ton of dystopian stuff as well. Maybe I want my Star Trek to say that it pays off, or at least that it might pay off, right? Again, that's mm-hmm. what we got out of Mirror Mirror. Spock, Mirror Spock didn't say, you've changed my mind, Jim Kirk. He said what? I'll consider it? Mm-hmm. I'll consider it. And we sort of assume that maybe that's going to be enough. Now, of course, Deep Space Nine then takes that and makes that the ruination of his entire civilization because he considered something that was a little bit different, but we can come back to that another time. Somebody watching this episode at the very beginning is going to look at that and go, well, this is ridiculous trying to change that Jem'Hadar, right? And what Star Trek has done to this point is said, it's not, though, because you can affect change because, because a person can be more than this thing that they were raised to be. The person can be more than they were, than, than what they were thought to be. If you, if you, if you hit them with new ideas, if you show them maybe a better way. And instead what we get is a guy who has knocked himself out trying to show this kid something better. And he comes back dejected. And, and anybody watching this episode who starts off at the beginning saying, you're not going to be able to say and just change to Jem Hadar gets to say at the end, see, and now see also whatever it is that you're against. That's the, that's the problem that I have with this episode because the payoff is, yep, that's going to happen to you. I, I hold out hope because Star Trek has also shown in the past that, look, just doing the action, do, doing that thing is still the right thing to do. Even if you fail, even if you're not going to get there, yeah, you're not going to get there on this one, but you might on the next one. So I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with, uh, I'm sure, 40 or 50 episodes from now, when we go back and find this Jim Hadar kid who has been influenced by his time with the people on DS9 and uh, and is able to convince the rest of the Jim Hadar that there's a, a bigger world out there, uh, a world of uh, uh, of poetry and, uh, and beaches and uh, good food, and they don't just have to uh, be mindless killing machines. I hope that day will come. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Hey, if you want to check out some other shows on the Roddenberry Podcast Network, you should, because it's a whole network, and we have other shows that we would love for you to listen to. Shows like, uh, well, Mission Log Live is one, certainly. Uh, Women at War, Priority One, The Trek Files, and Daily Star Trek News. It's Star Trek News. It's daily. It's right there in the title. And you can find it all at podcast.roddenberry.com. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, that'd be fantastic. Patreon.com slash Mission Log is the place to do that. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, be sure to check out Trek FM. That's Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. On the next Mission Log, Civil Defense. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Curious. 
is anyone going to look into? Why? There was a gem had our baby in an abandoned ship. And transmission. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri.